So Money Episode 413, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wealthfront. Wealthfront is the most tax-efficient, low-cost, hassle-free way to invest. Now, many of you I know are interested in simplifying your investment strategy. You want to reduce fees. You want to work with a service that you trust. And Wealthfront delivers. It builds and manages your personalized, globally diversified portfolio. To open an account, the minimum is just $500, and that gets you a periodically rebalanced, diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds. There are zero trading fees, zero hidden fees, and advisory fees that are just a fraction of traditional advisors. In fact, Wealthfront manages your first $10,000 for free. To learn more and sign up, visit wealthfront.com forward slash so money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Happy Friday. Welcome to Ask Farnoosh. And welcome to the first week that we have done just three episodes, ladies and gentlemen. We moved from a five-day-per-week schedule to now three. I had a blast this week. I had time to work on some other projects, long-term projects. I got an extra hour of sleep in the morning. How'd you do? I know that some of you were missing the five-day format, but also appreciate that now maybe you can listen to every episode during the week. And with me, as always, I try to get her on as much as possible. It's not always possible, but happy to have her back. Sophia, welcome to So Money. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. I, I feel like I can't do this without you. And when I do it without you, it's very <clears throat> lonesome. I'm like, it's just me <laughs> and the mic. Um, but how did you like this week? I thought, I thought things went rather productively. I agree. I mean, we definitely had more time to, as you said, work on future projects and some exciting things to come. So hopefully everyone's looking forward to that and obviously a little mysterious, but yeah, well, I mean, not, we don't have to be so mysterious. I mean, we can say that for a long time coming, I have wanted to offer something really high quality, high value to my audience um, that really respects what they want too. I, I, some of you filled out my survey back in December asking you what's your like biggest wish for 2016. It was when it comes to your money, what's your biggest pain point? I've been listening. I'm going to be doing a lot of um, one-on-one interviews with people that are part of the So Money community because I want to bring something to market, direct to market, you know, and um, join some of my peers who've done very well at connecting with their audience by bringing courses to market and webinars and other really fun and valuable assets. So with that, I guess I'm really what I'm doing right now is making myself really accountable, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> there's no going back now. Like I have to do this. And with the show and everything else that happened between January and now, it's been pretty tough to give this the appropriate concentration and time. But now that we've gone to three days per week, my load as far as recording has definitely gone down, which opens up hours and hours a day to really spend on 
learning. I'm really in the education phase right now. I'm learning how to really bring a great and valuable product to market. And when I do that, of course, I'll share the process with you. Maybe I should do that, you know, start sharing that process. I think a lot of you are probably in the same boat. Like, how do I actually go direct to market with and monetize a skill or monetize um, something that um, I have great knowledge in? And so that's where I am in right now. And um I don't know. Maybe that's something else I can start documenting. So anyway, thinking out loud here and thinking we should probably transition to the so many questions. What do you think, Sophia? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. All right. And some of you actually been hitting me up on social media. So once we get through these emailed questions, we'll see if there's time to hit Facebook and Twitter to answer some of the questions there. And by the way, if you're not following me on social media, please follow me. I would love to have you join me and we can talk very fast that way too. So at Farnoosh on Twitter, Farnoosh Tarabi on Facebook. Uh, Snapchat is Farnoosh Tarabi, one word. And then of course, Instagram is Farnoosh Tarabi. Um, I think that's two words. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but who? I think we have a question here from Krista, right? Yes, the first question comes from Krista. She writes in, Love the podcast, Farnoosh. I liked the episode with Sophia Bear recently and browsed the XY Planning Network, but those fees. I am three years post-grad school and have a hard time justifying the about 1000 a year fees financial advisors command. I have to ask myself, will I actually come out ahead with any changes I make after taking this fee into account? How do you know when you should get the help of a financial advisor? Also, some fees are based on assets under management. Is that my total net worth or only investment balances like 401k, Roth IRA, etc.? Okay, so a couple questions here she has. And the first is obviously the sticker shock of working with a financial advisor. And the reason I like XY Planning Network, Krista, is actually because I find that a lot of those advisors are willing to be flexible on their fees. So traditionally, you may encounter a financial advisor at maybe a big institution or a boutique, like a net, like a wealth management firm that charges 1% of your underlying um, managed assets. And, and those assets are not, you know, your equity in your home or, um, you know, the value of your car or anything. It's not like your net, it's not your net worth. It's actually, what are they managing? Right, so if they're managing your Roth IRA, a rollover IRA or a brokerage account, then, um, that said, I think that given that millennials are growing up and making money and, uh, have, have grown up in an era where They've not been so trustworthy of like the traditional way that money gets managed in this country, the traditional way of working with a financial advisor, that there's a movement that I see within the financial advising industry, a financial advisor saying, you know what? Yes, this has been the tradition that we charge 1% or maybe 1.5% of your assets under management, but that's a lot of money for a young person who should not be excluded from getting good, sound financial advice from people like us simply because of their income and simply because maybe they don't have a ton of investments to manage, but they do have questions. They need insurance. They need budgets. They need to um, be able to achieve goals. And so those advisors, and I love them for it, people like Sophia and people at XY Planning Network go, you know what? We're going to charge maybe a retainer every month or an hourly fee. And we can work in a variety of ways, but we really first want to learn what are your needs. And then we structure the feeds accordingly. Sometimes it does still add up to a thousand plus a year. And the way that you really understand whether that's valuable or not 
is you really should go in with kind of a long-term view that this is an investment in your ability to make the best possible financial decisions that will pay off. Whether it's a decision around budgeting, is a decision around what kinds of insurances to get yourself, if you have gaps in your insurances to fill those, if you um, need to open up a rollover IRA, getting the help for, to do that, which saves you time, which time is money. So it, it is a big price to pay. This is an investment in your in your, in yourself, in your finances and in your future. Um, it's a very personal choice, but I think maybe if you wanted to ease your way into it, find an advisor and they do exist that could say, you know, work with you for three months on a retainer. And if things go well, you continue the relationship. If things don't go well, you stop the relationship. And so you haven't burned through a ton of money, but you have gotten some benefit out of that. As far as managing your investments, that's not something that I think a financial advisor should prioritize more over all other things. You know, I think that right now with automated platforms like Betterment and Wealthfront and even Charles Schwab has a intelligent investor portfolio, which is automated, that charge like 0.2%, 0.3% of your underlying assets as opposed to 1%, which is what the traditional investment institutions charge. That could be something to look at for your investments and then finding a human being to help you make better budgeting decisions, hitting those goals that you want, reviewing your financial other assets, things like that. But I find that doing like a hybrid approach where something like a Betterment or a Wealthfront or fill in the blank automated platform manages your investment. So you don't have to think about it, you minimize fees, but then pay, you know, a couple hundred dollars, a few hundred dollars a month, maybe if need be. Um, on an as-needed basis to get that really good advice. Advice is good. Advice doesn't come cheap, right? And so this is really something that you have to psychologically be okay with, as well as, of course, financially. But Krista, I think that anyone who has financial goals wants to build wealth, um, wants to protect their assets, wants to be further educated, should have someone in the financial world that's an expert, that's credentialed giving them advice, whether that is on an ongoing basis, whether that's once a year, three times a year. The good news is the people out there who work in this space are are becoming more aware of the, of the changing market and the changing needs of the especially millennial markets, which by the way, I just read, Sophia, that because you're a millennial, you now outpace any other generation in terms of numbers. I saw that on the news yeah, the other so night. We used to say like baby boomers were the biggest... Uh, population. Now it's actually millennial. So you are a force to be reckoned with. And the financial advising industry is reckoning um, some faster than others. And so that's the good news. So I think, Krista, go back to XY Planning Network. Um, you know, I know Sophia makes herself very available. And if she's not able to help you, maybe she can make recommendations for you. So get in touch with all those people and let me know if you still have questions. That was a long answer. But I think that Krista really hit it but really hit it as far as what I think the sentiment is right now in this generation about working with advisors. You know you want to get the help. Is it worth it? How do you assess it? Where do you find the help? So thanks for the question because I think you really spoke on behalf of a lot of people here. (sighs) I didn't bring water to this session. What am I thinking? (laughs) All right. So moving on to our next question, it comes from Jocelyn. She writes, I'm back with another question for you. Thank you for the great advice to me personally and to others on your show. I'm so hooked. 
Recently, I've discovered that I need some costly dental treatments to the tune of $10,000 over the next two years. This has been a really tough pill to swallow, financially speaking, but I can't put it off any longer. I have the cash in the bank to pay outright, but it would be a big hit to my emergency savings. Also, the doctor's office offers 0% financing, and I am also thinking about a new credit card with an introductory rate of 0% for 15 or 18 months to take care of it. I have no other debt except my mortgage. Any recommendations on how to tackle this on how to tackle this unfun money challenge, what the impacts would be on my credit or what the impacts would be on my credit for the various financing options. Man. So I actually was in a similar boat, Jocelyn, a few, I would say, I don't know, more than a few years ago, but I remember distinctly that I got this estimate for, I think I needed um, a root canal and a crown. It was like all this stuff and it was going to be like a six month to 12 month process. So not as long as yours, but I got who the dentist is the worst, right? And you want to minimize not only the money, but the visitations. So sticker shock for me, it was going to be thousands of dollars, the first estimate. Now, mind you that your doctor and your dentist and anyone in the medical industry has a fiduciary responsibility to help you out, to to understand that you have a budget, um, just like your financial advisor hopefully has a fiduciary responsibility to your financial well-being, so does your doctor and your dentist. They are supposed to prescribe you the best medical treatment they can at the same time acknowledge that you need to save money. So first thing is I would take this estimate of $10,000 plus, make an appointment with your dentist and say, hey, I would like to look at ways to make this cost efficient, to save money somehow. What do you recommend? Without compromising, you want to stay healthy. You want to do this right. You don't want to cut corners when it comes to your health, but you do want to cut corners when it comes to your health bill. So see if he or she is willing to strategize with you and you can actually make an appointment for this. This is good advice for everybody. When you get that estimate, go back in and say, I'd like to review the estimate with you. What you may discover is that you know, like I discovered, my dentist said to me, I know this is a lot of money. So here's what I suggest. You should stretch the procedures over a year and a half as opposed to getting them all in one year. Because what happens is, you know, every year your insurance re-ups. Let's say I was owed, I had to pay $3,000 out of pocket because I would have exceeded my, my insurance payment, my insurance cap. So maybe spreading it over 18 months means that I could get that last leg of the procedure done in the new year when I have a new, uh, cushion, insurance cushion that will cover it and would basically save me like 30 or 50%, if that makes sense. So spreading out the procedure could mean you could take more advantage of insurance because every year insurance renews. And your out-of-pocket costs may be less as a result. The other thing you should do is if you hopefully meet with your dentist, let's say she says, he says, I'm sorry, there's nothing that I can do. You need to shop around just like you would shop around for a couch. You would shop around for a car. People need to realize that you can negotiate your medical bills. And there's actually a really great website that you can go to. It's called healthcarebluebook.com. And what they help you do is try to find a fair price for your procedure. And they do a search in your neighborhood because sometimes, or even outside your neighborhood, like a 10 mile radius. to be Because a lot of times medical pricing is different one town over the next. 
And I don't understand it, but it's just one of those things. It's a reminder that you need to negotiate and find and do your own research because believing that a crown at dentist A is the same as getting the crown at dentist B, it's not. It can be vastly different. And I think that will pay off as well. As far as how to afford it, you know, how to make this manageable. You say you have the cash in the bank outright. That would be great. If you have a lot left over from that, then do that. Cash is king. But if you're worried that you're going to really diminish your rainy day account, you'll be financially fragile, you won't have as much liquidity if you take this $10,000 out of your savings account, then my next best recommendation would be to open up the 0% APR credit card. Now, I work with Chase Slate as a financial education partner, um, so full disclosure there, but I would recommend that card. Definitely. Because with that also, you get a your free FICO score every single month. You also get access to a free credit dashboard that gives you access to your credit performance, um, your good and bad uh, behaviors so that you know exactly what you need to do to improve your credit score over time. So shameless plug with that. Regardless of that, I would say why I like the 0% APR credit card over 0% financing. You got to watch out for 0% financing deals, folks, because this is offered at furniture stores, dental offices offer this, but you got to find out how does that actually work? Like what are the, what is the inner working of that, of that line of credit? Sometimes what happens, and this is actually really bad because it could lower your credit score. What it is, what 0% financing actually is, is a line of credit that immediately gets maxed out as soon as it's issued to you. It has 0% interest, which is great, but what you've actually done is you've maxed out a line of credit. And if anyone knows the importance of maintaining good credit health, what that involves, part of that big variable is reducing your debt balance. But what a 0% financing instrument does sometimes is it makes it 100% maxed out, 100% leveraged, on that particular line of credit in this place. It's like it's like maxing out a credit card. So that could lower your credit score effectively. It's really important for consumers to know this. It happens a lot at auto companies, furniture companies, people buying TVs, 0% financing, but the tr- but the caveat there is that it could reduce your credit score. So do find out how that actually gets reported on your credit report. I would be more prone to opening up a 0% APR credit card and paying off that bill before the 18 months or 15 months is over, right? Because then the 0% becomes like 20% or more. And all the while, you're also maintaining good credit. You're building credit through that. So that would be my advice. So one, shop around, make an appointment with your dentist. And then first, I would use cash if you can do it comfortably or open up the 0% APR credit card. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 84 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website with hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates to choose from. The drag-and-drop editor. There's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. 
too busy, too busy worrying about your budget, too busy scheduling appointments, too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your website today. The result is stunning. All right, rock and roll. We're on a roll here. Let's see who's next. I feel I feel good about these questions. <laughs> the next one comes from Megan. Megan writes in, thank you for answering my windfall question and thank you for your concern. I'm okay now after finishing physical therapy. I've paid off barely all my medical bills and since I have quote unquote good student loan debt, I wasn't sure where to put the money I'm going to get. I've already gotten a low offer from the insurance company and we are hoping to come to an agreement for more. Your response was really helpful. My student loans mostly have low interest rates. Depending on how much I win, I plan on knocking out the loan with the highest interest rate and maxing out this year's contributions to my Roth IRA. I think this will help me make progress on my debt while at the same time put money away for my future. I already have $10,000 saved for a house and the remaining money will get me much closer. So more of a comment than a question. Okay. Well, right. I was like, where's the problem? <laughs> like waiting for the pain point. Megan, you sound like you're really got your, you got your ducks in a row here. Um, so all I have to say is keep up the great work and continue to add to that down payment because the more skin in the game you have when it comes to real estate, the better for your future and long run. And as far as, you know, that home being a quote unquote investment, it will be more sound because you will have more equity. And so I like everything I'm hearing, Megan. Thank you for following up with me. I love hearing from everyone, you know, after the fact. So Krista and Jocelyn, if you took my advice to heart, you practiced it, it worked or didn't, let me know because that's how I stay informed. <laughs> I, I, I depend on your feedback. So thank you in advance. All right. Next, I think we have a, a male, Phil. Yeah. We do so, have male audience members on this show. Some people think that I only have a female audience, but I actually have a lot of smart and ambitious guys. All right. So Phil writes in, I have been at my company for eight months now. And in my contract, I'm supposed to have a yearly performance review where they will also review my salary. I'm being underpaid right now, despite having more or less the same duties as my coworkers. The only difference is that I have a bachelor's degree while most of them have a master's degree. During my first interview, I was quoted that the position paid between $41,000 and $52,000. However, after my three-month training period was over, I was unable to negotiate the salary and they offered me $36,000. I accepted because it's a great opportunity to develop my skills and I enjoyed the work. I am now taking on more roles, and as our clinic expands in hiring more people, I'm worried about their budget. When should I talk to my manager to discuss the performance review? So, Phil, I think that timing is now. I think you want to approach your manager. Look, you've been through the review. I'm sorry, you've been through the um, like the probation period, <laughs> the training period. You've been with them for what seems like enough time. The company's growing. They're hiring. So I hear that. I think they have money. I don't think they won't have money. I think they have money to, to invest in human capital. 
not having a master's degree in some cases, in some industries, at some levels can be a problem in, as far as advancing. But it shouldn't be a problem as far as earning what you're worth, okay? It, sometimes you can't get the title because you don't have the master's degree. You can't become a manager because you don't have the MBA. But I feel like if you're putting in the same amount of work as your colleagues, perhaps even more, and you're great at your job and you have those metrics to show it, this is key. I don't want you going into your boss and being like, I feel like I'm getting slighted because my colleagues are making more. Don't make it a pity party. Don't make it about your emotions. Go in there with the facts. I've been here for X many months, years. Here's what I've accomplished. Here's how I've taken us from good to great. Here's how I have excelled in the training period. Here's how I've trained people. Here's how I've developed my skills. I love my job. My team loves me. You know, I think it's time to revisit my salary. Uh, mind you that uh, initially I was quoted starting salary of $41,000 to the potential of 52. And at the time I understood it wasn't maybe the right time to give me the $41,000 that I was quoted, despite that I'd gone through the training, despite that, you know, I exhibited the skills, but now I feel like that I put the work in and I really see a long-term existence for me here. Like I want to, you know, if you really care enough to be there, express that, that you want to be there when they hire people so you can train them, talk about how you might be, might implement new ideas. Like this is a time to really sell yourself by mentioning your historical track performance, but also talking about what things you want to do and how you're going to be of value in the future and go in for the ask and ask for more than 41, you know, because you're going to be negotiated down. That usually happens. You got to start with the figure that you want and probably add 10, 15% to that because that's usually, uh, you need wiggle room for that, for that negotiation. And so that you land hopefully on the number that you actually wanted. But I think that if this doesn't work, you, if you go in with your metrics and your, um, you know, the results that you've produced for them, the positive results, your plans for the future, then you might want to look elsewhere for a job because sometimes the best way to make more is to leave. And if this company is going to just lowball you because you don't have that master's degree and that's the only thing they have over you, then you need to go somewhere, somewhere else. I mean, not to say that education is, uh, just a commodity these days, but it is. I mean, a lot of people have degrees and what counts more, I think, in the marketplace in many cases, unless you're, of course, going to try to be a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, astrophysicist is the experience, right? And you've got that. And I would hate for you to spend another five years here making below market just because you enjoy the work. I think at a, at a certain point, you know, you stay because you like it and you're learning. But if you've hit that wall and you're not learning anymore and now it's just a contentious place because you're like, what the heck is going on? I'm making less. They're not even realizing my my value, my worth. You know, you, you owe it to yourself to have one more conversation with your employer. But after that, if it's falling on deaf ears, you got to leave. And that's what happened to me when I was starting out. I had a salary. I saw people doing a fraction of the work that I was doing, making more. And I kept going in every six months, every review period, asking for more, rejected. That happened two or three times. And then I started to get the resume, get it get it going, you know, getting on LinkedIn. We didn't have LinkedIn back then. So uh, it was harder. You got to space the music, Phil, okay? 
I really hope you land somewhere where maybe it's here, someplace else, where they really appreciate you and you get the income that you deserve. All right. I think we have a co- time for a couple more questions. What's next? All right. The, the last question that I have comes from Richard. He writes in, Hi, Farnoosh. Is there any financial benefits for a couple to have two separate individual mortgages? So one of our names would be on one mortgage and my partner's name would be on the other. We would like to own one primary residence and one rental slash summer residence. What I would say to that is it only matters when the mortgage whose name is on that matters two things. It matters because that's the person who is going to be responsible for that payment. So if you're okay having just one name on that and one name on the other and each person agrees to be responsible for that debt individually, cool. Second, uh, what you need to know is that if it's just your name on one mortgage and your spouse's name on the other mortgage, then those mortgages only get reported to the respective uh, mortgage holders' credit reports. I'm sure you knew this, right? But just just stating the obvious that your mortgage, if it has only your name on it, then that mortgage history, the payment history only gets reported on your credit history. So if your spouse wants to build credit, maybe it would be advantageous to have both of your names on both of the mortgages. Now, you said that you want to own one primary residence and one rental summer residence. Is that together? And this is why I ask. Because while the mortgage is really just a piece of paper that determines who is financially responsible for the debt on that house, the deed is what determines who owns this home. The mortgage is not. The mortgage is just who's financially responsible for this debt that is uh, the underlying asset is a home. The deed, if you want to both own property together, then it would be necessary for both of your names to be on the deed. So mortgage, slice and dice it how you like, whatever you're comfortable with, whoever, you know, if it works for you, works for you to have one name on each. But if you both want to be the owners, the co-owners, then you need to get both your names on each of the deeds to each of the residences. And then I'm going to go to social media here because... um while I prefer that people go through Ask Farnoosh on somoneypodcast.com, you can certainly ping me on Twitter. And I'm just going to go to Twitter right now and use the hashtag Ask Farnoosh so I can find you. Uh, but let's see. We've got a question here from Zarina. <laughs> cool. Zarina says, hey, I've got a 401k. I have an interest-bearing savings. And I have an IRA with no debt. Uh, but I feel like I could be saving and investing more. Any suggestions? So I, this is a trend, right? Sophia, we have these really overachievers in the So Money community. They're like, I'm we doing, do. we, I love it. Like, we're, I'm doing everything right, Barnoosh. I'm following the book, the playbook, and I feel like I should be doing more. And so you didn't mention Zarina at Zarina Worldwide. How big is that interest bearing savings account? Like how many months will that support you if you lost a job or income? So I hope that it's like six months that's paying for your you know, necessary expenses to replace the income to help you pay for those expenses. So that's number one. And you know, at this point, if you don't want to go out there and buy yourself something nice like art or a car or or maybe a vacation, because I think I would prefer a vacation experience over something material. If you're not interested in any of that and you really want to like grow this money, then you might look at alternative investments, which I'm not going to tell you specifically which ones that you should do, but something's worth exploring. Real estate, 
you know, and this is like long term, like you're not looking to flip homes, but maybe you want to buy an additional property that you would rent out. Paula Pant is actually a phenomenal expert in this field. She was a guest on the show. She's a blogger, affordanything.com. And she's actually, I think it's out already, or maybe it's in, uh, it's in beta form right now, but it's a course on how to establish your first rental property, which could be something again, do you want to be a landlord? Not for everybody, but could be something that could make you some nice positive cash flow every month with your investment. Um, you might want to look at just a plain old brokerage account, which you would probably only want to do after you've maxed out the 401k, you've maxed out your IRAs, you've got a little bit more money to play with. You can open up a plain brokerage account, fill it up with a diverse array of assets that are pegged to when you want to retire, your risk tolerance, all of that. And you can open that up at, say, Betterment, Wealthfront, any of those places. That's what I would say, um, Zarina. Thanks for the question on Twitter. Maybe you should enjoy the money as well. Like go and if you're going to start a new job, get a new wardrobe. If you haven't been on a vacation in a while, do that. Um, sign up for a personal trainer. Like, you know, there's always that thing called self-development. <laughs> Take a course. You know, investments don't have to just be um, mutual funds, ETFs, and index funds, right? They can be investments in ourselves. So I would highly recommend that, especially because you've done everything else that you would ever need to do to be in financial, in, in tip-top financial shape, at least for where you are in your life. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sophia. Of course. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure to have you helping me out. It'll be interesting to see how we performed this week with just three episodes as opposed to five. I hope you all still came and listened and maybe more of you got to uh, benefit from the slower pace, got to hear more of the shows and um, enjoyed it. So let me know how you're liking it. You can always email me farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com. And this coming week is the final week of Follow the Leader. So if you haven't watched at all this season, don't tell me if you haven't. I don't want to know. But if you haven't, <laughs> um, the good news is we've saved one of the best for last. And she's a female entrepreneur. Many of you have heard her name. And if you haven't, you've known who she, who her clients are. Madonna, Gwyneth Paltrow, Jennifer Lopez. We have the one and only Tracy Anderson on the show. She's the inventor, creator, mastermind behind the Tracy Anderson method, which is a very... Uh, successful, popular training uh, gym, but also I guess it's like trans. It's call it a lifestyle. Like it really transforms your life and your lifestyle. She's transforming bodies left and right. And the challenge with Tracy and what we kind of try to show in the thirty minutes is how do you scale when you're one person? Now, if you're listening to this podcast, maybe you are building a brand. Maybe you are a personal brand. You are an expert in your field. You are a psychiatrist. You are a um, a teacher. You are a lawyer. You are a football high school coach, high school football coach. How do you become a brand and then from there become world-renowned, right? How do you scale when you're one person? So that's kind of the lesson in the Tracy Anderson episode. Plus, I worked out with her. So if you're really interested in seeing me in some spandex, <laughs> tune in 
CNBC Wednesday, 10.30 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. I'll be live tweeting during the half hour and also a Periscope following that. Of course, you're going to get reminders. So this isn't the last you'll hear of it, but just wanted to plant the seed and hopefully get you to set the DVR or your alarm clock or your calendar and Google, whatever you use to remind you of important things. Put this on the list. It's going to be good. I promise. And thank you for tuning in. Hope you have a glorious weekend and see you right back here tomorrow if you missed any of the episodes, but definitely Monday for a fresh episode. And by the way, my parents make a cameo next week. I'm interviewing them. So you definitely want to tune in next week. All right, that's it. I'm a wrap. I'm out. Mic drop. Thank you so much and hope your weekend is so money. Money.